chapter 93, Psalm 93, verses 1 and 2. The Lord reigns, and he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, and he has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. This is the God that we have come to worship, glorify, and honor this morning in everything we do here. And we are very excited to do so this morning. Please join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this time to gather and celebrate you. To celebrate your perfect plan that is demonstrated to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, it is so humbling to think that we, a fallen, broken people, have this opportunity to praise the most holy, perfect God. And Lord, we desire that what takes place here honors and glorifies you. And Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit prepare our hearts this morning to receive the Word of God. Lord, that your truth would challenge our faith and grow us in you. And Lord, during this time of singing, this time of prayer and giving, Lord, we just pray that all these things would prepare us to receive your word and prepare us to draw close to you and glorify you and worship you. For you are our God and we love you. Teach us to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. We stand to the Lord's
and say, The floods have lifted up the Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Maybe some of you this morning needed to hear those words. You're hearing the roaring of the floods, crashing of the thunder, but our God is in control of all things. Please join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you that you are the one who perfectly planned all things, and that our Savior Jesus Christ created this world, and oftentimes we are like Peter, we get excited about following you, we get excited about knowing who you are in the midst of a storm, or pursuing you in hard times, but take our eyes off, and we place them back on the creation, and we become fearful, Lack courage, lack faith. Yet you remain steadfast, present, ready to restore us, to lift us back up when we begin to sing. Father, thank you so much for being so present in our lives. For journeying with us and leading us in this journey. Lord, we want to trust you more and more each day. You to expose pockets of lack of faith and fear in our lives, Lord God, that you may reign in every area of our aspect of our life. Lord, we, we want to know you more. Lord, we realize that knowing you more and knowing you more deeply often means going through going through the storms. And Lord, we want to follow wherever we go. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much. You sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross, to rise from the dead grave, Lord God, that we might have forgiveness of sins. We might have hope and peace and joy and love. Not as the world knows it, but only that can come from the throne of God. Thank you, Lord, for loving so much. And Lord, we, we want to lay our burdens down at your feet right now. There are many. And Lord God, we just want to recognize that it's with, when we walk with you, when we're close to you, that we have the right perspective on it, no matter what trial or tribulation we may face. Lord, we want to rejoice in you that we recognize all good things come from you. We don't earn them. We don't deserve them. The precious, wonderful gifts we Lord, we just want to rejoice in you. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Continue to minister to our Lord. Jesus' name we pray for the power of the Spirit.
your Bibles this morning, open those up to Matthew 24. If you don't, we've got those wonderful few Bibles in front of you to grab hold of and turn to Matthew chapter 24. We are transitioning this morning from kingdom people to return of the king in Matthew. Jesus is going to dive into two chapters here in Matthew 24 and 25, speaking and addressing his return. This is uh, some beautifully, wonderfully encouraging scripture passages that oftentimes aren't viewed that way. Matt, uh, Mike said to me, I think this morning, and it was Mike, not Brian, last week they kept calling Brian Mike. Mike's, Brian's, Mike's usually on the computer, Brian's on the soundboard. Um, thank you, gentlemen, so much for serving back there. Um, but, you know, I have to make a statement. Um, you know, I really appreciate all they do. Um, hopefully it's not too complicated back there. But I know some of you guys would love to sit with your wives during the service sometimes. Would you Would you like doing that sometimes? I think you would enjoy doing that. Their heads are nodding north and south. But in order for them to do that, we need some extra help. So um, it's really not that complicated. We'll train you up. But we, we need some extra volunteers to, to step up and help out. So that all of us can appreciate and enjoy the time with our families during the service. So I'd ask you to begin to pray about that and say, hey, Lord, I, Stephanie and I talked this week. And I asked her what her number one need was. And she goes, help on the tech team. I was like, well, we can ask the congregation for that. They're pretty good about stepping up. So ask that you pray about that and consider doing that. But um, Matthew chapter 24. i got to go back to Matthew chapter 23 and read the last verse because this transition is a beautiful transition into this passage. Jesus states in Matthew chapter 23, verse 39, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. <coughs> Matthew chapter 24, verse 40. And Jesus left the temple and was going away. And when his disciples came... To point out to him the buildings of the temple, he, he answered them, You see all these things, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Father God, Thank you. Thank you so much for this gift from our Savior, Jesus Christ. The message of hope that He is coming back. The message of hope that His gospel will be proclaimed. A message of hope that we can persevere. A message of hope that you have foreordained all the plans 
and they are perfect, they will bring glory to you, and they are for our benefit. Lord, we confess that some of these things are hard to wrestle with and hard to contemplate. Lord, I pray that your peace will be upon us right now. Draw us near to what you're trying to teach us, Lord, that we may see this passage and begin to apply the truths to our heart and lives. Increase our faith this day, Lord, please. In Jesus' name we pray. By the power of the Spirit. I grew up um, in the church. My mom and dad saw to it that we were there on a regular basis. You don't, in fact, remember a time in my life where I wasn't involved in the church service somewhere. Um, and I also remember at a very young age being exposed to tribulation or end of days kind of movies and, and teaching and prophecy was, was spoken of. And many of you, some of you may, the Thief in the Night series, anybody? Oh, wow. It must have been a Nebraska thing? Or Midwest thing? I don't know. They're, they're a pretty powerful movie series. I think I was like four or five, five maybe? I don't know. And, and they were on Sunday nights, they were showing the Thief in the Night series um, at our church. And they were scaring people to Jesus is what they were doing. <laughs> I can still remember the images and the, the imagery of, of things that, you know, as they read about things in Daniel and Revelation, they, they tried to recreate in a movie setting and um, just some terrifying stuff. I remember just being like laying in bed, white and laying with my eyes like big as saucers, just thinking about all those things and terrified of those end of days. And, and, and as I've grown older, I've listened to a lot of people talk about the end of days. And I, we've had people who are close to us that began to name dates and name times when Jesus was going to come back. I remember going to chaplain training in Florida, and there was this big poster board. And it was kind of funny and sad at the same time. Um, big old placard says, Jesus to return, and it set a date. Well, we were past that date. And so, either I'm not a child of God, and, and I've been left behind, or, or, you know, something's going on, and he's outright wrong. The sad part about it was is the guy's ministry continues, and, and people have been naming dates and doing all sorts of crazy stuff, and the gift of what we call apocalyptic or end-of-time scriptures as man has tried to push their own agenda upon the scriptures. I hope that as we go through these two chapters, we can get back to the heart of why Jesus is sharing this with his disciples. Why he is speaking to them. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't so they could go home, pull out a stone tablet, and chisel a date on it and say, Jesus is going to leave us on this day and come back on this day. We would think that's pretty silly nonsense. Why is Jesus teaching his disciples about his second coming? I would propose to you this number one reason as we go through this that we need to keep this in mind. The hope of all those who are in Christ Jesus is the return of the where Jesus Christ is going to come back and has established his kingdom forever. And until Jesus Christ comes back and establishes his kingdom forever, there will be a need and a longing to complete that plan, even for those who have died and are in heaven with Jesus. Everyone will await the return of the kingdom because it's the fulfillment of God's complete plan that we, as children of God, want and desire and need. And so as Matthew begins to share with his disciples, he's giving them insight and perspective of what things must take place. And hopefully as we go through this and we talk about it, 
And I will share with you kind of where I'm at on some of these issues today. You'll probably meet me in the breezeway and we'll probably have some extended conversations. Just a reminder, I do have to preach a second service. So we might have to save some of my conversations for a lot of time. But I believe he is telling his disciples this. He's sharing this with them so that they might have hope in the return of him. Let's dive in together into what should be a fun and exciting and challenging passage of Scripture. Jesus has said to them in verse 39 of 23, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The hearts, lives of those children of God who ache and desire to receive for the return of Jesus Christ. In verse 24, Jesus left the temple and was going away with his disciples. And he came to a point out to him the buildings of the, the when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So as they're leaving out of the temple, the disciples look back upon the temple and they see these magnificent structures. It was a magnificent building. <coughs> Amazing. These large stones perfectly placed upon each other, the craftsmanship, the artistry, the beauty, these buildings were absolutely amazing. And the disciples were, were right to appropriately marvel at this structure. And, and the language here is the word that Jesus says to him. He says, you see all these, don't, do you not? You see these buildings. And the same word for you see is the same word that he's going to use later down here. To when he says, see to it that no one leads you astray. That same word is being used for both. You perceive, you see these stones. And you're able to, to look at it and to enjoy that magnificence of this structure. In this physical realm, this physical world, you're able to see this and you're seeing to marvel at that structure and point out it's amazing. Jesus says, you see all these things, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is speaking of the destruction of the temple that took place in AD 70. If you do, I know some of us are not great historians, we don't appreciate history, but if AD 70 is a huge pivotal point in the history of Scripture. The destruction of the temple was, was just, for us, we can't even fathom it because we have not been part of the Jewish history and heritage, and that was the place where people went to make confession and connection to God. And it was destroyed. <clears throat> And we know why. Because of Jesus Christ becoming the great high priest. And Jesus telling the, the Samaritan woman, there will come a day and age when you'll worship me not on this mountain, not just in Jerusalem, but everywhere. And he's telling his disciples, you marvel and you appreciate how magnificent this structure is. But I need you to begin to perceive and to look at things, not just in the physical marvelment and amazement of these structures, but I need you to look at things and begin to perceive the things that are around you from a spiritual perspective so that you might understand and so that you might grasp what I'm about to do. Because if you don't, when these stones and this structure comes tumbling down, your faith will be destroyed. You must understand, I am the one that is orchestrating these events. Well, we know that during Jesus' trial, this is brought back up. It's blasphemous to speak against the temple. This is their place of worship, and Jesus is saying, this will be completely torn down. It is the plan of God. So that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ might go out to the ends of the earth. The temple must be destroyed. That had been a very difficult message for the Jews. His disciples, his disciples to receive. To think about their place of worship. Think about the place where they had come and sacrificed. The place that had been destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt and, and, and destroyed and rebuilt. 
it's, this has gone on. And, and for them to, to say that this is going to be destroyed again and completely thrown down this had it been a very difficult, difficult time for them to understand. And yet, Jesus is saying to them, this is my desires his disciples to go and to understand and perceive and to understand the plan of God is greater than the buildings of men, the institutions of men. This is the plan of God. He wants them to have their eyes open and to understand and perceive his plan. He goes on to say here Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives. Now, if you're a person who's studied a lot of, of the end times and, and what's going on in the history of Mount of Olives, the history of Mount of Olives is rich and significant to me. And if you want to, especially dealing with the end of times in Zechariah 14, we read that someday Jesus will return and place his foot down upon the Mount of Olives and split that thing in two. And, and so I believe this is one of these passages we can just just a transition point. He's sitting down on the Mount of Olives. It's no big deal. But it's, it's an interesting posture and position. He is not stepping down on the Mount of Olives to bring judgment and bring finality to it. He's sitting down to instruct them that on this place these things are going to begin to happen. Great foreshadowing of the things to come. The disciples came to him privately saying, now this, and this is something too that I believe is important, that privately the disciples come to him and say, okay, Jesus, you may have been in a larger context when you said this, but we want to understand and perceive these things. What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Two questions here. Two questions. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see to it that no one leads you astray. And in the same way you can observe these buildings and you can observe their structure and they're magnificent and you can have great awe and wonder about them. And the same way you can observe that, I want you to observe people who are teaching false doctrine and teaching false heresies against, or heresies against the, my teaching, the gospel, and have your eyes wide open to perceive these things and do not be led astray. You've got to have a spiritual, eyes wide open perspective to the world, and you've got to understand my teaching so that you might understand those who are teaching against you. Because in these days and age, people are going to try to lead you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. People will rise up as false messiahs. People that will try to undergird what Christ has said. Well, Jesus, he really wasn't the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. And, and they, will, they will try to pull and rip away and tear down everything that Jesus taught you. And they will be agents of the evil one, agents of his work. As the evil one comes against the truth of Jesus. For many will come in my name, saying, I am. The disciples would see that within their lifetime. The disciples would see people who would rise up and, and speak against the teachings of Christ and actually proclaim themselves to be Christ, to be Messiahs. That's what the word Christ means. Promised one, Messiah. We see that happening in today's day and age, don't we? Some people aren't saying that they're Jesus or that they're Christ, but they're giving you a lot of different options other than following Jesus to live life out. And they're coming against teaching, and they're coming against Christ, and they're saying, you don't need that. Have this, live for yourself, live for the moment, have these possessions, follow these teachings, do all of these things out here, but just do anything, but don't follow Jesus, because really Jesus is just going to restrict your life and make you miserable. But like I talked about last week, the most abundant life ever is found within Jesus Christ. Everything else is a fraud. 
that destroys and knows. The disciples are going to see this. They're going to experience this. Jesus is warning them about this. Don't be surprised. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. I love that. Well, wait a minute. Wars and rumors of wars. And I mean, in America, we're a little spoiled. I mean, when was the last time we had a war on our continent? None of us were alive. On our continent, where we had fighting on our continent. Now, if anybody was alive back then, what's we need to find the secret to live along, right? But in this time of Israel, they dealt with war in their backyard. And you think about what this would mean. And he's saying, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed. Why can they not be alarmed? Because God is in control. He is putting these things into motion. It is his perfect plan. They don't need to be alarmed. They need to trust in God. And as these things rise up, they need to proclaim the truth of God even more so that others may trust in God and follow after him and have this same kind of confidence. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. Notice the language there. This must take place. Who has ordained these events? God. God has ordained these events, these things to take place, so that many might believe, so that people might grow and trust in who God is and so that God's kingdom work would be brought to completion and fulfillment. We don't have to be alarmed. You know, last week we talked about the political dilemma we've got in America right now, and, and, and Christians of all people should be greatest people of hope right now. Because God is in control. And, and God is putting things into motion to bring about his second coming, his return. And brothers and sisters, we should want that and desire that more than anything else. We need not be alarmed. In fact, underline that. See that you are not alarmed. Underline that. Circle that. This is end of days stuff. This is hard time stuff, right? And he's telling them don't be worried. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are but the beginning of birth pains. Birth pains. You know, I, as a person, as a young man, in studying this kind of literature, studying Revelation and Daniel, I was like, God, why do you keep referring to this as birth pains? The longer I've studied the Word of God, the more I begin to understand that the return of the King is the hope of all people. But before the King can return, things must be taken care of. Sin must be dealt with. The evil one must be put away. This is just the beginning. Goes on to say, and then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because the lawlessness will be increased, the love of money will the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Brothers and sisters, I know a lot of people have different views and opinions about the return of the King, Jesus Christ, and what things must be taking place. I want you to understand who Jesus is speaking of here is, is His disciples. He is addressing His disciples and He's telling them, you will experience these things. His disciples in their lifetime experience all of these things. They experience and see Christ, false Christ, 
rising up. Thaddeus, spoken of in Acts, stands up and proclaims that he is the Christ. You see in Josephus, he's an early Jewish historian that wrote, speaks also of many other Christs that stood up during this time and professed, or people who professed to be Christ, false messiahs, antichrists. People who opposed the plan of God. They experienced this within their time. Nation rising against nation. We see in their lifetime, the disciples' lifetime, Israel fighting against and rebelling against Rome and their war taking place within their lifetime. Earthquakes that took place. Pompeii. We also see an earthquake that happened earlier on in the region. Famine, a great famine took place. AD 45, 46 took place during this time. And if you read the epistles, you do not, the epistles of Paul, the writings of Paul, you see and you hear up, hear people delivering you up to tribulation and putting you to death. You hear about the disciples being beaten and imprisoned and put to death. James being beheaded. Tradition tells us that Peter himself was was crucified upside down. You'll be hated by nations for my name's sake. You you see that Paul goes to Rome and he deals with Christ in Rome and and expressing Christ in Rome. We see nations rising up against Christians as well. And Nero, and the persecution of Nero and the Christians. We see those who have fallen away. Paul addresses those who had fallen away in the church, first Corinthians. We saw Christians in the epistles betray one another and hate one another. False prophets arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. The disciples saw every single one of those things fulfilled within their lifetime. Why do I make that statement? Because it means that the return of the king is imminent. It can happen. goes on to say here, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. If you have your Bibles open, turn them over to Romans chapter 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not yet believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! But they have not obeyed all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. People have used this final verse of Matthew as the sticking point to say that Christ's return is not imminent because the word of God has been been proclaimed to all nations, all tribes, and all tongues in every place. Yet, we see Paul giving testimony that the word of God has indeed gone out. I believe 
And this is where we may begin to part ways and, and, and disagree a little bit. That as the disciples went through and they went through the tribulations and the things that they saw, the close of the canon takes place. It seems to be with the great hope and expectation that Christ can return at any moment. Because these things have been fulfilled within even the days of the disciples themselves. That at any moment, our King can return. And I know there are people out there that go know the mind calendar. We've got to go do the mind calendar thing, right? Jesus is going to come back to the mind calendar because Jesus is like on the timetable of the ancient tribe of mind. No. I do believe the return of the king is imminent. And we could talk about the rapture versus the second coming and we could talk about all those things, but Jesus is dealing directly right here within these passages of the signs of the things to come. And remember what they had. Their direct question to him was, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. Paul thought for sure that Jesus Christ was coming back within his time. How could Paul have such confidence or even that thought if there was so much prophecy yet to fulfill in order for Christ to return? See, I think God gives us these passages and gives us the understanding of these signs to open our eyes and perceive that Jesus Christ can come back at any moment of any day. And that we need to be ready. We need to be prepared to, re- to be welcoming the King. And our hearts and our lives need to be in a position and in a place of being ready to say, Jesus, you're here. I wasn't caught unaware. Because as we go through this, and you're thinking, okay, well, that's just this passage, but as we go through this and more, we're going to talk more about some parables that Jesus gives, that they're supposed to be ready, anticipating the arrival of the King. Are we anticipating the arrival of the King? Are we people so entrenched in our world and what's going on around us that we have taken our eyes off the imminent return, the any moment return of our King, and we're not ready for him. That's the beautiful, encouraging thing about this. Yes, bad things are happening and will continue to happen. But you got to understand that as all of these things take place, God's kingdom work is being accomplished and being done. God is in control. As people abandon, as people Betray as people rise up, nations rise up against nations, and wars, and rumors of wars, and rumors. I mean, I've heard people talking on the radio. The other day, Christy and I were getting ready to head out on a little road trip, and she turns on Cozy, and it's like 10 minutes of that. And I'm like, man, I'm uplifted right now. And my wife is sitting there telling me, Scott, what did you tell your congregation this week? You need not despair. You need not worry. God is in control. And he's going to use all of these things for his kingdom, glory, his work, and the fulfillment of the day. So my question to you is this simple this morning. Are you anticipating, expecting, desiring the return of the king? Are we living our lives as people, as kingdom people, who are leaning forward about God's kingdom work, and then when the king comes, we are rejoicing in the king's return. In the eternal establishment of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Do you anticipate this? Are we excited? Are we so focused upon our lives here? We have long forgotten and long stopped contemplating the return of the king. <laughs> this passage leaves me with great hope and anticipation that yeah as the disciples went through as Jesus Christ went through the storms of life betrayal, trial persecution people turning away from us because we believe in the name of Jesus nations turning their back against the church and God's people 
We have hope. And we need not fear. And so if we truly believe, and this is what blows my mind, I honestly believe the right response to an imminent, possible, any moment, return of Jesus Christ is not, let's go build a bunker and fill it full of food and hide away. But it's going to your neighbor. It's going to your friend. And pouring out all of ourselves to proclaim the gospel message to anyone who will listen hear the truth of Jesus. The proper response to imminent return of the king is the proclamation of the gospel message. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. We are still proclaiming that gospel. And until Jesus returns and steps foot down on that mount of olives and splits that thing wide open and starts his eternal kingdom, we are to be agents of the gospel of the kingdom. So my question to you first this morning is, do you know the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if you do not, the return of the king is a terrifying thing. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, it is what should be our hope. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of what he proclaimed and he proclaimed to us is that we are a broken people, a fallen people, a sinful people. We are sinners and we sin. And we rebel against God. And Christ came to redeem us, to put us into right relationship with the Father so that we might be called the children of God to take away our sin. And so it matters a matter of us confessing our sin. I hear a lot of people talk about, just trust Jesus in your heart. And I don't like that language. You know, it's a confessional thing we have to do. We have to confess that we're sinners, broken, and unable to do anything that pleases God. And that the righteousness that is given to us, imputed to us, is not of anything that we've done. No, nothing we can ever do to earn it. But it's a free gift from Him. And that gift comes to us when we confess that we're sinners and trust in Jesus Christ to be the only thing that can take away our sin. And desire Him to reign in us. For He is the King. Remember last week I, I asked you if you were going to read through this passage that you do so with the mindset that Jesus is the King and He is the King in complete control ordaining all of these things. If you have not confessed and believed in Jesus and trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Savior this morning, let this morning be a great morning of rejoicing as you believe and trust in Him and join the rest of us as we're leaning forward and anticipating the return of the King with great hope and expectation. The return of the King can happen at any moment. For us who are children of God, are we about the business of the King? Are we about the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? For that is what we need to be about if we truly believe the return of the kingdom. Please join with me. Father God, I thank you this morning for your perfect plan. I thank you that as we do go through moments of storms and trials, Lord God, that We would draw near to you and know your words and believe you. And we would recognize that this is your kingdom plan for us. And recognize that we know that in the history of the world, the, the spread of the gospel has spread great, greatest and most times of persecution. And Lord God, we want to be a people that is proclaiming the message of the kingdom. Or if any of their if anyone here this morning has not yet believed in Jesus Christ, 
as their sheep. They confess their sin to Him. Lord, I pray that this morning will be the morning when your Holy Spirit reveals the truth and they confess it. Father God, for those of us who are children of God, tune our hearts, Lord God, tune our hearts to sing your praise, profess of your kingdom. In our playing, as we're on the golf courses, in our in our jobs, in our in our hobbies, in our travels, in our moments of crisis, in our moments of joy, in our friendships, in our marriages, in our parenting, Lord God, in every aspect, in every area of our lives, we might be proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus. That in everything we do, we might reflect the truth. Thank you, Lord, for loving So, in Jesus' name we pray. By the power of us. One of the things that... It's been a good, great question. Steph and I met this week. And began to talk about our service. Began to talk about the intentionality that we do things in service. So one of the questions that came up is why sing two songs at the end of the sermon. It's with intention that... We'd sing the songs, we'd give our tithes and offerings, we pray together in order to prepare to receive the word. We hear the word of God, and now we believe that we need to respond to the word of God. And so we sing these songs, not so that everyone will stand up and sing in unison together, as far as like, you know, everybody has to do this, but so that as you may have been impacted this morning by the truth of God, and what we've been called to do as his children, and maybe you've been convicted that, that you've been distracted, and you need to spend some time just sitting there praying. We want to make sure you know that we want you to do that during this time. If you need to write something down, I need to go back and look at this. And this convicted my heart. I need to study this word. We spend that moment right now. And as we're singing these songs, to write that down. If you need to get up and go pray with someone, you have deacons and elders who are in here. And yes, elders and deacons, it's been proposed to me for the hundredth time to wear name tags, so it's kind of. But it's so that we might be identified and people might come pray with us. So we want to pray with you this morning. If you want to come up here this morning and come pray with me, let's do that. But let's respond. Let's begin to respond. Let's let the Word of God impact us, hit us, and begin to respond to the Holy Spirit's work that He's doing through the Word of God. And that's why we're seeing these Because we want to intentionally respond to the Word of God. And what he's calling us to do. Steve, if you would.
93 by saying, Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Hopefully your hearts were encouraged. As you expect them.